Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Friday, August 19th, 2022. This is the last show for the week, and I'm actually taking a long weekend. Got to go to a wedding on Sunday, so the next show after this one will be for Tuesday morning. But in the meantime, we have a lot of stuff to go over today. The first story at the top of Antiwar.com, we learned some details about Iran's response to the EU proposal to revive the nuclear deal, to revive the JCPOA. This is according to a report from The Cradle, and it detailed the agreement that Tehran has put forward that the US and the EU are now reviewing. The Cradle report, it cited an unnamed Iranian source who said that the deal includes comprehensive sanctions relief for Iran and a series of measures that are meant to deter the U.S. from withdrawing the agreement from withdrawing from the agreement in the future. It's a major concern for Iran because the U.S. has already done that before. In 2018, the Trump administration withdrew from the JCPOA and imposed a series of sanctions on Iran. Um, and the Biden administration has continued to add sanctions on Iran. But so in order for Iran to bring its nuclear program back into the limits set by the JCPOA, they have to shut down and dismantle some of these new centrifuges, these advanced centrifuges that we've seen them build build and get operating, get them up and running since the U.S. pulled out of the deal. So according to this source, one of the guarantees that they want from this deal is that if the U.S. pulls out, Um, they could be able to bring these centrifuges back online pretty quickly. So instead of totally dismantling and destroying these centrifuges, um, they're going to make it so that they'll be able to get them up and running again within a year. So that would be a consequence for the U.S. if they pull out. Okay, so we know if we scrap this deal that these centrifuges will be back up and running soon. And... Altogether, they said that there are 21 guarantees like this written into the deal, and it's to alleviate Iran's concerns about the U.S. withdrawing from the agreement. Under one guarantee, if the U.S. leaves the deal, there will be a three-year and one-month grace period during which foreign companies will be unaffected by sanctions. So theoretically, during that time, if the U.S. pulls out and there's this grace period during that time, Iran will still be able to sell its oil and do business with Western companies. And it's not clear exactly how that would uh, work, you know, practically, because this all really hinges on, and this is why it's such a major concern for Iran, because the JCPOA is not a treaty. The next administration, they're not bound by it. They could pull out of it at any time. So it actually does seem smart to add kind of these guarantees that these consequences for the U.S. if they pull out. Um, And this has been just a major, you know, factor in these negotiations. During earlier negotiations between the U.S. and Iran back in 2021, the two sides were close to a, a deal. Iran was asking for a guarantee that the U.S. would never withdraw from the JCPOA again. But the Biden administration couldn't give that promise because the next administration, it's not a treaty again, so they're not bound by it. But Iran dropped that demand and they they asked for something very reasonable. They wanted President Biden to guarantee that he would stay in the agreement 
just for his term in office. And that comes with the clause that Iran is staying within the agreement. It's not like it would tie his hands that if Iran violated, he wouldn't be able to pull out. But he refused. And this was revealed in a report um, by Trita Parsi from Responsible Statecraft. So that, you know, after I saw that, I never really thought the Biden administration would make any real efforts to revive the deal. Um, but so the ball, once again, it's in the U.S. court. It's up to the U.S. to approve this deal that Iran has put forward. We don't know all the guarantees from this cradle report. But if they approve the deal, it's going to be implemented within stages. In the first step, the U.S. would be signing the agreement, the U.S. and Iran signing the agreement in Vienna. Then the U.S. would cancel three executive orders signed by President Trump that withdrew the U.S. from the JCPOA. And then Iran would then have 60 days to test the sanctions relief by selling oil to Western countries and accessing some of its funds that were frozen overseas. This says that sanctions against the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, will remain in place. Um, but they will be eased a bit by allowing Western businesses, by allowing Western business with Iranian companies that make transactions with the IRGC, if you follow that. So right now, the way these sanctions work, you can't do business with an Iranian company that does any business with the IRGC, which is Iran's military. Um, so it's a pretty major sanctions that are on the IRGC. They're just going to be eased a little bit under this deal, apparently. Um, so again, this is just from the, this cradle report. The Iranian government, they've declined to verify these details. But Iranian media has said that the main outstanding issue was over guarantees, guaranteeing the continuation of the JCPOA. It's not clear when the U.S. is going to respond. They're still reviewing this proposal. Uh, and they're coming under pressure from Israel and from hawks in Washington. And that's what this next story is about. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid, he met with U.S. officials on Thursday with, and gave delivered a message to the White House said if the Biden administration doesn't walk away from the current nuclear deal talks, that it will show weakness. He said, quote, in the current situation, the time has come to walk away from the table. Anything else sends a message of weakness to Iran, end quote. So he delivered this message in a meeting with the U.S. ambassador to Israel and Rep. Ted Deutsch. He's a Democrat from Florida. And again, the U.S. is currently reviewing this proposal. And um, the Israelis, you know, they're always they've always been against reviving this deal. They claim that their main concern is that they don't want Iran to obtain a nuclear weapon. But that doesn't really make much sense considering the JCPOA. It puts Iran's nuclear program in, in under these really strict limits and it makes it subject to the most stringent inspections in the world. Um, and other opponents of the JCPOA have stepped up their efforts to pressure the Biden administration not to rejoin the deal. A group of hawkish former U.S. officials, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton, they discussed military alternatives to the deal at a conference in Washington on Wednesday. And this conference was also attended by members of the National Council of Resistance of Iran, which is led by M.E.K., which is, they're a cult. They're a group of Iranian exiles that are, they're a very controversial group. Um, they're led by this woman, uh, I forget her, 
I'm blanking on her name right now, but it's it's a cult for for all intents and purposes. It is a cult. She's a cult figure, and they get all these former U.S. officials to attend their conferences and rallies. They pay a lot for speaking. Um, for them to speak, you always see John Bolton there. We've seen Rudy Giuliani at these conferences too. But it's funny because this is an article. The article that I cited is the Independent about this conference, and they didn't mention that it was the MEK or you know it it just didn't describe what the MEK is. The MEK, you know, they've also um, carried out assassinations against Iranian scientists inside Iran in that stretch of period from 2010 to 2012. A few Iranian scientists were killed, and the MEK was said to be involved in uh, at least a few of those assassinations. And this is the group that Bolton and these other former officials always say when they're talking about regime change in Iran, they want the MEK who have been exiled for all these years to, um, you know, be the next regime in Tehran. And they've been exiled for a while. They, they were in Iraq for a while. They're not welcome in Iran because they basically took Iraq's side in the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, that brutal war. But anyway, the next one here the U.S. approves of Ukraine striking Crimea. A senior Biden administration official told Politico on Wednesday that the U.S. supports Ukraine striking Crimea, which Russia has controlled since 2014, but neither Washington nor Kiev recognize as Russian territory. The official said that the U.S. considers strikes on Ukrainian soil self-defense and then applies to Crimea in the eyes of Washington because they don't recognize it as Russian. The official said, quote, we don't select targets, of course, and everything we've provided is for self-defense purposes. Any target they choose to pursue on sovereign Ukrainian soil is by definition self-defense, end quote. So these comments came after a series of explosions at Russian military facilities in Crimea. Officially, Ukraine hasn't taken credit for these incidents, but we've seen Ukrainian officials really strongly hint that Ukraine was behind them. And there's also been reports that said they were Ukrainian special forces operations. We still don't know exactly the, what happened there, but the recent the incidents, they appear to be acts of sabotage, maybe done with explosives. But Ukrainian officials have said that they're preparing to use U.S. provided weapons such as the HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems to attack Crimea and Washington. You know, they don't want. Ukraine using U.S. weapons on Russian territory. But again, that doesn't ap ap apply to Crimea. We saw uh, Ukraine's defense minister said Wednesday that there are no restrictions on using U.S. provided weapons on what they call occupied territories of Ukraine. And when asked by antiwar.com, I asked the State Department last month if the U.S. ban on using U.S. provided arms on Russian territory applies to Crimea. The State Department told me Crimea is Ukraine. So that's all we really need to know. Basically, the U.S. is signing off on Ukraine attacking Crimea, which Russia has made clear they're going to view as, as a very big provocation and an escalation in the war. So far, it's just been these explosions. But, you know, this really risks provoking a big response from Moscow, especially if they know the U.S. is egging it on and if it's being done with U.S. weapons. Dmitry Medvedev, he's a former Russian president. He currently serves as the deputy chair of Russia's Security Council. He said uh, last month that it would mean doomsday for Ukraine if they started a 
attacking Crimea. And we have seen some attacks. But he also said some a quote from him that I thought was more interesting was that he said the fact that Ukraine and NATO countries don't think Crimea is part of is part of Russia. He says that that is a systemic threat to Russia that they don't recognize it. Um, so that's how they're viewing this. You know, they're never going to, they've controlled Crimea since 2014. The people that live there voted in a referendum to join Russia. Of course, the U.S. says that referendum was a sham and it was like 97% or something, which sounds like, seems like a lot, but there's been plenty of polling since that the people in Crimea are happy and Russia took Crimea without firing a shot. So I think that really says more even than the referendum. So the people that live there, they want to be part of Russia, it seems like. And Russia has built a bridge from Crimea to mainland Russia. It's massive. They've invested billions. They're not going anywhere. And they probably would view this as a major threat if there was a serious effort to take back Crimea, which I don't think Ukraine is capable of because Russia controls Kherson, which is the uh, territory north of Crimea. So it would take a lot, really. Um, and we keep hearing about this counteroffensive that Ukraine's planning, but we haven't actually seen it happen. So, all right, the next one here, Russia says it moved hypersonic missiles to Kaliningrad. So Kaliningrad is the Russian enclave in between Poland and Lithuania on the Baltic Sea, a few hundred miles from the mainland of Russia, but it's Russian territory. It's like a Russian oblast. It's, it's like Alaska is to the United States. Um, and Russia, the Russian defense ministry said that they have sent three uh, MiG-31 fighters that are equipped with Kinzhal hypersonic missiles. According to the Russian military, these hypersonic missiles have a range of about 1,200 miles and they can travel at 10 times the speed of sound. Um, I just highlighted this because this is another example. Over the years, Russia has... Um, deployed more military forces to Kaliningrad, its enclave in in Europe, uh, as tensions have grown with NATO and the U.S. and stuff. You know, Kaliningrad is surrounded by NATO territory. And this comes after there's been some tensions over Kaliningrad. Lithuania decided to enforce EU sanctions on Kaliningrad, and that means that Russia ships goods to Kaliningrad through Belarus and through Lithuania. And Lithuania was going to ba basically place an embargo on Kaliningrad by enforcing EU sanctions, but the EU made them change it, and they are al allowing these goods to ship to Kaliningrad again. But there's some issues. Russia is complaining because apparently they set limits on the amount of certain goods that can of sanctioned goods that could travel to Kaliningrad, and they've already reached these quotas. So there's still some issues, but overall tensions have reduced over Kaliningrad. And there's always speculation from the West that Russia has sent nuclear weapons to Kaliningrad, but we don't know for sure if there's if Russia has nukes there. They deployed nuclear-capable Iskander missiles to Kaliningrad in 2018, but it's not known if they're tipped with nuclear warheads. Okay, the next one here. Russia says the Zaporizhia nuclear plant may shut down if shelling continues. So on Thursday, the Russian Defense Ministry said that the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant could be shut down if Ukrainian forces continue attacking it. Now, Ukraine claims that Russia has been behind all the shelling that we've seen on this plant, 
but Russia has controlled the plant and the areas around it since March. So it gives Russia a little reason to attack it. Um, there are Russian troops there. It is militarized. Um, but um, they're working on, they've been calling for the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency. That's the UN's nuclear watchdog. Russia has been calling for them to come in and inspect the area. And to, in uh, on Thursday in the Ukrainian city of Lviv, Zelensky, he hosted uh, Erdogan, the Turkish president, and Antonio Guterres. He's the UN secretary general. And they did discuss the power plant. Erdogan warned that the fighting around the power plant risks another Chernobyl. And um, during the talks, Zelensky said that he accepted UN parameters for an IAEA inspection to the power plant. But it's not clear if, you know, Russia has agreed to this. Russia has been calling for the IAEA inspection and Russia is the one that controls it. So that's who it has to be worked out with. Um, but Russia also rejected a UN proposal to demilitarize the power plant. They're saying it would leave the plant vulnerable to Ukrainian attacks. Okay. Next one here is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. The White House has reportedly asked uh, Israel to review its rules of engagement in response to an Israeli soldier killing Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Ekla. So she was gunned down in the West Bank earlier this year while wearing a bulletproof vest marked press. She was shot in the head. And we've seen all these um, reports come out, media outlets, even mainstream Western media outlets like CNN, concluding that Israel shot her and that you know they likely did it uh, purposely, that she was targeted. And the best that the Biden administration could do was ask Israel to review its rules of engagement. They haven't really done anything, taken a stand against Israel for killing this American, Palestinian-American. She's a Christian, too, a uh, journalist. On May 11th, she was killed. Okay, so the next one here. U.S. to hold formal trade talks with Taiwan. So in, this is another U.S. show of support for Taiwan. The U.S., and Taiwan will begin formal trade negotiations this fall, and this is despite warnings from China against the idea. This was announced by the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. They're going to be conduct conducted under the U.S.'s de facto embassy in Taiwan, which is known as the American Institute in Taiwan. And they're being launched under an initiative that the U.S. and Taiwan agreed to back in June. The negotiations will cover several trade issues, including deepening agricultural trade, digital trade, and removing barriers to trade. So this announcement, it comes amid soaring tensions between the U.S. Beijing and Beijing that was sparked by Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan, and it was followed shortly thereafter by another congressional delegation. We know how China responded launching these major drills and you know China's also really warning against this this tra these trade talks because you know, this is the US government from the this is how Beijing views it you know in their in the policy official US policy is that Taiwan is part of China and that's what uh Beijing views it as part of China it's basically like a breakaway state um but by engaging with the Taiwanese 
government on official and an official level like this, it's the U.S. signaling that they're breaking from the one China policy and that they are moving towards recognizing Taiwan as its own country. Um, so, again, just we saw China strongly warn against this. And this is just an example of the U.S. moving in this direction and just increasing support for Taiwan. The next one here is interesting and kind of strange. So during the three-day, Israel's recent three-day bombing campaign in Gaza, the Israeli military chief said on Thursday that Israel carried out a strike during that campaign on a third country. And my mind, when I saw that, immediately went to either Syria, Syria, which they bomb pretty frequently, or Lebanon, where they also launch strikes from time to time. But Apparently, there were no strikes in those countries during this three-day bombing campaign, but there was an incident in Yemen. So this is from the Middle East Eye, and they asked, did Israel attack a Houthi camp in Yemen during the Gaza fighting? There was a big blast at a at a Houthi camp, and the initial reports said that it was an accident during a the transportation of a ballistic missile, um, but now there's a speculation that it might have been an Israeli airstrike, I guess. Um, it's still just speculation at this point, but they're trying to figure out what the third country was that Israel attacked. And the report said that the blast killed Iranians and, Le- and Lebanese people that were in Yemen, um, which signals those might be someone that Israel would like to target. They said um, that they carried out you know, that they carried out a strike in a third country against an Islamic Jihad leader. Islamic Jihad is the the Palestinian group that Israel targeted in its latest bombing campaign. But they also killed 17 children and other civilians. It's 49, I think, is the death toll. Um, So the next one here, this is the last one for the news section. Turkey says, first Swedish extradition doesn't live up to NATO deal. On Thursday, Turkey's justice minister said that Sweden's decision to extradite a man who was wanted in Turkey for fraud, it falls short of Turkey's demands under a deal that allowed Stockholm to apply for NATO membership. Turkey wants Sweden, as well as Finland, to extradite suspected members of the Kurdish militant group PKK and people allegedly involved in a 2016 coup attempt. But the man that Sweden announced they were extraditing to Turkey, he's not linked to these groups. He was only convicted for credit card fraud. And this is Turkey's justice minister said uh, that this isn't fulfilling the the deal. Um, He said, quote, if they think that by extraditing ordinary criminals to Turkey, they will make us believe that they have fulfilled their promises. They are wrong, end quote. So really, Turkey's the only wild card that could block Sweden and Finland from joining NATO if they don't live up to these demands. And Sweden, there's a lot of domestic pressure not to extradite any Kurds to Turkey. So it seems like by extraditing this guy, you know, it was probably the least controversial domestically, the least controversial person that they could have sent to Turkey. He's been locked up in Sweden for the past year as it is. Um, so again, Sweden and Finland, their NATO membership, it needs to be approved by the legislature of the alliances. Of all 30 members, the U.S. has approved it. 
this point, most countries have, and Turkey's really the only one that can block it. So, you know, hopefully uh, Sweden and Finland don't live up to Turkey's demands and we don't see them join NATO. Okay, so that's it for the news. We got a lot of good viewpoints, as usual. A good one from Ted Snyder about sort of just how the sanctions and stuff and what the U.S. says is the isolation of Russia isn't really uh, working out. And we also have a spotlight from John Mersheimer um, uh, just about the situation in Ukraine. That's very good, but that's it for today. Again, this is the last show for the week. Taking a long weekend. Next show will be on Tuesday. If everything goes according to plan, I'm going to be recording from the road. So hopefully everything goes smoothly. I'm sure it will. Shouldn't be too hard, but that's it. You can contact the show, news at antiwar.com. You can follow me on Twitter, message me there. And you can uh, throw some money to the show by donating to antiwar.com. You can do that at antiwar.com slash donate. Share the show, tell your friends, uh, leave reviews and all that stuff just to get us uh, our numbers up a bit. And But yeah, that's it. I will see you guys next week. Thanks a lot.